Welcome to Green Team Speaks To, the podcast for the Paulson Institute's Green Finance Center. Hello, I'm Deborah Lair, Vice Chairman and Executive Director at the Paulson Institute. Today, we'll be speaking with Ibrahim Al-Zubi and John Arents of Majid El-Futain. Ibrahim is the company's Chief Sustainability Officer and John is Head of Treasury, and both have been instrumental in the company's sustainability efforts. Many thanks, Ibrahim and John, for joining us on this episode. Majid El-Futain is a leading integrated lifestyle provider operating retail and leisure establishments in 16 markets in the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia, serving over 560 million visitors a year. With such a far-reaching platform, your actions send a strong message to others in the region about the importance of using market mechanisms to promote green development. With all the exciting and interesting things that Majid El-Futame is doing and how it fits into the larger regional context and the broader climate action dialogue, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Your firm has been one of the leaders in the region and an inspiration for others. John, why don't we start with you to give us an overview of the firm? Thanks so much, Deborah. Imagine uh, Time as an organization has been around for over 25 years now, growing from a shopping mall here in, in Dubai to now owning over 27 uh, shopping malls across the, the GCC. Now, as an organization, we are a very diverse organization. Uh, and as you rightly talk about, we are a lifestyle conglomerate. We cover industries such as property, where we own shopping malls, hotels, and we have some residential developments, to a retail business, which is our car for supermarkets and hypermarkets business that has obviously a significant reach across 16 countries with more than 320 stores. The last piece of our business is what we call our ventures business. And within that, we have uh, cinemas, uh, leisure and entertainment, fashion, and some finance. Now, the biggest part of that is the cinema business, which is our box cinema business. And we have over 500 screens uh, across the, the area. It is obviously a business that is very customer centric. Uh, and we continue to explore how we can uh, integrate ourselves with the, the lives of our customers on an ongoing basis. It is something that uh, we're very proud to do across the different countries that we operate in. And predominantly, obviously, we have our, our base here in Dubai. Well, thanks so much. Well, clearly, the firm is a corporate leader in the Middle East and Africa, and it's also at the forefront of the beginnings of the sustainability movement in the region. Your region has been a little slower than some in embracing sustainability for very understandable reasons, given the reliance on the oil revenues and the extreme climate conditions. But it seems to be catching on now. Ibrahim, turning to you, can you share with us what the vision of the firm is in the field of sustainability and what is it that you're hoping to achieve? Thank you, Deborah, for the question. Sustainability is embedded in, in the heart of everything we, uh, we do. Uh, it's embedded in the day-to-day business. Our sustainability journey uh, started officially in 2011 and uh, so far we have achieved uh, many important milestones along this journey. Our vision is to dare today, uh, change tomorrow uh, when it comes to to our sustainability strategy. And uh, uh, what we've done, we made sure to align with the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, Our vision and strategy is uh, directly aligned with 10 of the 17 SDGs. And uh, 
uh, when it comes to uh, a strategy itself, uh, it has three focus areas related, of course, to the strategy and the business objectives, as well as uh, uh, things uh, that we are either being impacted by or we can have a positive impact. The three focus areas are transforming lives, uh, rethinking resources, and empowering our people. Our approach is a triple bottom line approach, planet, profit, people. It's a win-win for the planet, for us, for the economy, and for the people, uh, for sure. I would like just to share a highlight when it comes to uh, rethinking resources. When we were one of the first global companies to commit to net zero, but we decided to go beyond. We believe that being carbon neutral or just net zero is not uh, enough. We have a net positive commitment in carbon and water, where uh, we were the first company in the Middle East, uh, and I believe one of you globally, to commit to become uh, uh, net positive by 2040. Net positive means to give to the environment more than you take. So when we measured our uh, negative environmental impact, we found it mainly in energy and carbon and water. And then when we decided to uh, be net positive by 2040. And uh, the target, regardless if we achieve the target or not, uh, we have a clear journey since 2016 on how we want to achieve this net positive target by investing in energy efficiency, have a climate mitigation strategy and a climate adaptation strategy, as well as thinking in a different design uh, when it comes to our buildings and our uh, assets to ensure that it is an efficient and green building, as well as investing on inside renewable generation and off-site renewable energy generation. And this way, we managed to embed the, the way of thinking, the way we design. We design by default for a lead gold shopping mall or a hotel or a mixed-use project or equivalent. So the norm for us is a lead gold as well as implementing, as per our renewable energy policy, a 5% minimum, sorry, 7.5% for a new project from renewable generation. Uh, I believe uh, this is uh, a new business model, at least for this part of the world, when you look at business as usual, the business as usual for us should be, and uh, for everyone, sustainable business. So when it comes uh, to uh, if we achieve some of the targets, the strategy gets translated into annual targets, long-term and short-term, as well as, as well as key performance indicators and gets audited by third-party auditor quarterly. So just to give you a, a brief, uh, on 2019, for example, we achieved around 14 million kilowatt hour of renewables generated by uh, shopping malls through photovoltaics. We achieved a 42% reduction in carbon emissions in uh, one of our biggest carfoos in Mall of the Emirates. Uh, a good example, uh, 34% reduction in water use in our Hilton Garden in, uh, in Dubai, as well as uh, achieving a 71% water use uh, reduction in our offices. And it goes beyond, by the way, uh, when it comes also in our retail business and our operations as well. In November last year, uh, we became the first company in the Middle East and North Africa to commit to phase out single-use plastics from our operations by 2025, and we are on track. Uh, we uh, introduced incendiaries, reusable bags, and we're looking for alternatives, and this uh, will include 
uh, the removal of freely distributed plastic grocery bags from all our Carrefour stores in 15 markets by 2025. We also manage and own and operate more than 2.5 million square meters of area of green certified space, as well as uh, working, of course, with uh, my colleague and good friend, John, in Treasury, where we established with Treasury in 2019 our Green Finance Framework and Green Finance Steering Committee chaired by John uh, to oversee the selection of new and existing uh, projects in our green portfolio. Uh, also, uh, just to wrap up about the sustainability journey, uh, and this is very close to my heart because it's, uh, it's the getting the ESG rating because we use uh, international framework to be rated. So when it comes to ESG rating, we received an ORIS rating by Sustainalytics, which is an independent ESG auditor, as well as uh, uh, rated A uh, by the Morgan Stanley Sustainability Index. Well, Ibrahim, thank you for that overview. It's clear that Majid Al-Futaim has a very broad-ranging sustainability program. What has been the reaction in the region to the work that you're doing? Thank you. That's a, a very good question because uh, we do have a regional uh, footprint. And again, our region faces a unique set of natural and operational political, geopolitical, and social challenges, by the way, and uh, especially in adopting sustainability when it comes to priorities. It's one of the uh, most scarce regions when it comes to water, when it comes to environmental performance. Some of the countries, we don't score well, although UAE is leading there as well. When it comes to consumption, uh, we do consume a lot. For example, uh, the typical UAE resident uses around uh, 450 plastic water bottles on average in a single year. So we use a lot of water, we have a lot of plastic, uh, single-use plastics. Sustainable infrastructure uh, still is a growing uh, priority in the region, especially when it comes to uh, renewables. The UAE has uh, a, a strategic plan when it comes to sustainability. So in a nutshell, the evolution of sustainability in this part of the world became from a nice to have and it's becoming to a must do thing. And this is uh, especially post COVID-19. COVID-19 was an eye opener and still an eye opener for governments here about issues like uh, environmental sustainability, well-being, infrastructure, uh, local uh, sustainable procurement, local procurement. So uh, it's becoming more and more important. We started discussions with different stakeholders, mainly governments, on local procurements, investing more in SMEs, infrastructure, renewables, as well as well-being. So it's a journey for us. And uh, we are uh, in talks and supporting even different initiatives. For example, the UAE government asked us to join a federal council on climate change, it's a cabinet council on climate change and environment to give feedback and lessons learned and start to implement some of our policies on a government level, as well as the uh, Board of Circle Economy 360, uh, which is uh, part of the Fourth Industrial Revolution Center done by the United Arab Emirates government and uh, the World Economic Forum. We are in touch even beyond the Middle East. In Armenia, for example, our single-use plastic commitment inspired uh, the government to look into implementing uh, elimination by in next year, as well as uh, countries like Kenya, 
Kenya, we are working with not only local sourcing, we're looking with local farmers to help the government with reducing their subsidies when it comes to opening markets for the local products. So there is the, there is an interest, and now uh, post-COVID-19, I believe uh, that uh, business will look into a must-have sustainability policies there. What we learned from COVID-19 is agility, being agile and uh, resilient uh, is a survival skill. And being a sustainability practitioner, I've been working on a pandemic called climate change. So if someone shows resilience and agility will be organizations that have been looking into climate change mitigation and adaptation by default. And this is where you will see the direction goes and the investment. You'd see companies and investors looking into social investments, green investments, which from a risk assessment and even compliance and customers would demand that as well. So the region is going in the right direction from a government perspective. We started to see even more private business looking into sustainable commitments, privately owned companies. Uh, they want to leave a sustainable legacy. So uh, the challenge will be mainly is the, the natural resources, and mainly I would say water, as well as uh, the movement of legislation, sustainable legislation across closely connected countries. Ibrahim, yeah, I think you raised a really important point, and that is as many of the economies around the world are suffering from this post-COVID environment with the shutdown of so many businesses, many really are looking at how they can have a green recovery and using this as an opportunity to build out whole new sectors. We found in our experience in China that many of these activities really need to go hand in hand between business and government. There needs to be a good government regulatory structure to promote sustainability, but providing the opportunity and impetus for businesses to take advantage of that. That's very clear in the financial sector where there have been incentives created for firms to start looking at how they can build innovative financial tools to promote green development. John, turning to you, we've been very aware of green bonds, which has been one of the fastest growing fields within the bond market and green finance market, but not a lot of issuances of green sukuks. You've had a very significant milestone and that with last year's issuance of the first green sukuk in the GCC region by a corporation. Tell us a little about Islamic green finance and then what was the thought behind issuing a green sukuk? Thanks, Deborah. I think one of the things that's very key is that obviously when we talk about sukuk, there really isn't a lot of difference between a sukuk and a bond. Um, they act in exactly the same way. Yes, a sukuk is done under Islamic law or Islamic um, compliance. Uh, in other words, under uh, Islam, you can't have interest. So it talks about profit rates. Obviously, they act in exactly the same way. So from the perspective of do you choose to do a sukuk or a bond, it really comes down to how you're looking at the markets at the time. And for an organisation such as ourselves operating in the GCC, there's obviously an underlying demand benefit to actually looking at a sukuk versus doing a bond. So there, obviously, you increase the range of investors that you can actually get to engage in your issuance. In looking at green, obviously Ibrahim has, has spoken significantly about what we have done here as an organisation when it comes to sustainability. For me as a finance person, and I came from a background 
uh, where I was a treasurer for an organisation in Australia that was considered globally to be you know, at the top of the Dow Jones Sustainability Index for property companies in the world uh, to be number one or number two for a number of years. And I, coming from an organisation like that, that had a strong sustainability background, I did issue the first green corporate bond out of Australia into Europe uh, back in uh, 2014. This organisation speaks a lot to me around sustainability. Being able to bring all of that together to issue something and to make it regional, I think it was a fantastic thing to do. The biggest issue, I think, for a lot of a lot of the market, and obviously Europe is more sophisticated and advanced in its way of thinking about sustainability and green in particular, is education for people and what does it actually mean? So for us to be able to go through and lever off what Ibrahim and his team had already done was a, a huge step in the right direction for, for us as a finance or a treasury to come in and look at this and go, well, we can actually lever off this to, to produce something that's a first for the region, to drive the initiative of sustainability, not just within our business, but within the UAE and within the GCC, to the point where you know I represent Majid Al-Fatim on the Dubai Sustainable Finance Working Group. And how do we actually try to drive, I guess, more issuance? As you rightly point out, there's not a lot, but how do we bring more companies to market? not just companies or corporates, but also governments as well. And obviously this year we did see Egypt come to market with a green offering. It's very key that when you're looking at sustainability and trying to tie it to finance, is trying to bring something to the market that investors are going to understand. Uh, now, Ibrahim did touch on the ESG rating uh, through Sustainalytics, and, and that was part of our process. And in financing for bonds or as a cook, you also need to have, you know, from a market perspective, a green financing framework, something that international investors are going to understand. And, and obviously, the, the key one for that is uh, the ICMA or International Capital Markets Association Green Bond Principles. Very, very key that something that everybody understands and can relate to that if you're bringing something to market that's in line with those and it's been third party verified, uh, and that's where Sustainalytics comes in, not just on the ESG rating, but also on the framework that you're going to use to bring a product to market that everyone is going to recognise and accept. And that goes down to how do you screen for, for eligible assets? What is the process around that? How do we arrive at the eligible assets? What is the ongoing reporting going to be? And to me, that is probably one of the biggest keys of how you actually drive acceptance of a product like this is reporting on what you're actually doing and the on the assets or, or the projects that you've selected. So for us, you know, the two issuances that we did last year in Green Cook were focused on green buildings, and we have uh, about 13 or 14 buildings that met the criteria under ICMA for green buildings, and, and that is obviously under the LEED or BREAM standards. For LEED, it's gold and above. or BREAM, it's very good and above. So Ibrahim and his team have done a fantastic job in looking at those assets and already having them verified under those standards that we could use as the building planks for the issuance. The reporting of those then is to the point of, well, what are you actually delivering to the world in regards to sustainability and the impact that that's having? So that covers things you know, such as the energy efficiency, what's the avoided um, greenhouse gas emissions for a year, what are your annual energy savings, what's the reduction in water consumption? So that when you produce that report on an annual basis and the investors that are out there that are very Know, focused just on green and actually see that you are actually doing some good. And that obviously helps them within their allocations. The market is one that is growing significantly and it's going to continue to grow. 
even if you're not looking at green, just the fact that most investors now have an ESG uh, filter, that if you're not meeting certain criteria under ESG, even for a vanilla to cook or bond, they're not going to look at it. And I think that that is something that is very, very key as we go forward, that you know you need to be looking at this. If you're looking at having a sustainable business, you need to be focused on ESG. And, and it's not just the environment, it's the social and the governance pieces as well. John, what do you see as some of the challenges ahead? I mean, you've touched upon things related to looking for green assets and some of the regulatory issues. I know one of the challenges has been even finding a common definition of what is a green investment. So for the region, what what do you see as some of the concerns that you have about how the market can develop and what it needs? One of the key things is looking for an international standard. And that is something, I guess, globally, that it is a little bit messy. Obviously, the EU has gone through their own taxonomy of what they are going to consider to be under ESG. You do have, as I talked about before, ICMA with their green bond principles uh, that have evolved over the last you know, seven years uh, since I've been involved in this market. And I guess if we can land on something that everyone can accept is a standard, and it does go to that, you know, is it light green, dark green, or you know, is it brown? conversation that does occur out in the marketplace the more that we can align the better i also think that from my point of view that if you really want to drive more of this type of behavior regulation does need to change and in particular i think it has to come through from the banks and therefore it comes from the central banks banks need to be given some incentives in regards to how they perhaps they're going to look at the risk weighted asset perspective of offering uh, loans uh, of being involved in being able to buy bonds, that they get some sort of capital benefit out of it. So therefore, it drives a price benefit, which is actually then going to attract more people to the market. The more we can do things like that, the better. You know, in Australia, where I'm from, and I talked about the organisation that I was from, the government did take an initiative where they have the Clean Energy Corporation, which was there to lend money on a, a reduced interest rate as long as certain criteria were met. Now, we are, that was obviously a Kickstarter for the Australian market, and we are starting to see more of that happen globally. And I think that's the sort of thing, incentives that are going to be needed there. I know when I sit on the, the, the Sustainable Finance Working Group here in Dubai and you start talking to other corporates, treasuries in particular, the first thing that they get asked if they bring up to a green is, what's the pricing benefit to me? If there's no pricing benefit or it's going to cost me because I've got to do some additional auditing, then some organisations are turning around going, well, it's not really worth the while. Now, obviously, we totally disagree with that because if you look at return profiles uh, of companies that have focused on ESG over the you know, the last uh, 10 years or so, they have actually outperformed indexes. So it shows you that if you do focus on ESG, there are benefits for your organisation in the long run, and that's where people need to focus. Certainly, I think you make a really good point too about identifying what the opportunities are. Goldman Sachs did a report a few years ago looking at the Chinese market and the opportunities in investing in environmental goods and services and believe that it's a $1 trillion opportunity a year. So there is money to be made in development of it, and it can be a driver of economic growth. And I agree with you that that's what investors need to see to continue to invest in these green opportunities. As we come to the end of this very interesting interview, I just wanted to go back to both of you, what you see ahead in sustainability for Majid El-Futeim. What's next? 
how do you continue to be a leader in this field and inspire others for change? Yes, I think uh, the future looks uh, exciting. We are on track and will accelerate our commitment to sustainability. If sustainability is uh, important for us, I think post-COVID-19, it's even more important. You know, One of the lessons that we learned from COVID-19, by the way, and the whole world knows about this, uh, no arguing argument on that, is if one of us falls, we all fall. And this is exactly what sustainability will take care of. We will ensure that when it comes to socioeconomic and environmental, we take care of the uh, work and the business we do. The other part is we learned also from COVID-19 is prevention is better than cure. So we would ensure that the, the, the way we look on our design, our properties, it's shared. We want to invite even, we want to see more people like us to join us in, in this journey, as well as a more emphasis on using technology, technology for good, and uh, using AI to help us to achieve our targets. So uh, we are making positive and good progress on our targets when it comes to the positive single-use plastics. We will make sure that our 11 mid-term and long-term sustainable business commitments uh, and material issues are being achieved, as well as uh, launching our circular economy strategy. You talked about economic opportunities post-COVID-19. Circular economy can launch uh, more than $4.5 billion of uh, opportunities in this part of the world. So that's, uh, that's a lot as well as we'll be tackling our embodied carbon. So we'll go beyond our operational carbon and we will be ensuring that uh, our embedded carbon is being taken care of in our existing assets and our future assets. So again, I'm happy to report that we're on track and we will accelerate our sustainability work within Majd al and within also our partners, inviting even more stakeholders and players to join us in, in this journey. Great. Thank you, Ibrahim. Uh, John, would you like to add to that? I think just from a personal perspective to start with, it's about leaving this place in a better condition than where we joined it or we participated. So from that perspective, you know, where Treasury comes in is to you know, really align ourselves with the sustainability of the business and to help progress that as much as we can. Now, whether that's through issuing further green you know, bonds or loans or Sukuk, looking at perhaps more of an ESG type uh, focus in looking at sustainability more generally. I think that's where we can help drive the agenda within this business, but also within this region. Uh, we have taken a leadership position here. It is an area where there is a great deal of focus, I have to say, from the different working groups that I'm aware of and in. And that's something that we continue to need to try and push to try and drive this agenda further. Because at the end of the day, we do need to leave this place in a better condition for you know, the generations to come after we've gone. Well said, and a good note to end on today. Ibrahim and John, this has been a wonderfully rich and insightful conversation. Thanks for sharing your story. Your firm has really been an inspiration to many in the region. We appreciate all that you're doing to create a more sustainable world. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Green Team Speaks Too. To listen to more episodes and learn more about the Paulson Institute's work in green finance, please visit us at paulsoninstitute.org. See you next time.